Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. When we think about missions, we usually think we need to go somewhere. What if you're already there? Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series, Glory of Christ, with this sermon entitled, The Glory of Christ in Missions, which covers Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, Psalm 96, verses 1 to 3, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father, thanks for this time together this morning. What a privilege it is, oh God, to open the word, the scriptures, the Bible. We, uh, we don't wanna take that for granted. We know that there are many throughout history and even many now who don't have access to your holy word. And so thank you. Thank you for the privilege and the joy to meet with you in such a way. Would you use your word to teach us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to admonish us, Lord, to make us more like you and to open our eyes to see you, the king of glory. So Lord, we give this time to you. Would you use it to make us more like you and to bring yourself glory? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'll start this morning by asking you a question. What vision captivates your heart in such a way that it fuels the mission of your life? What vision captivates your heart in such a way that it fuels the mission of your life? Now, here's the thing. Every single person, all of us, every single one of us live with a mission. We all, we all have a mission in life. It might be unstated. It might even be in our subconscious. We, we may not have articulated it in the past. We don't, if I said, what's your mission in life? You may say, I'm not exactly sure. I'm trying to figure that out. But here's the reality that I want you to tap into. The reality is that all of us are captivated by something that then, whether we realize it or not, in turn fuels the mission of our life. Now, there's some things that are always easy prey to talk about when I bring up something like this. And and, and really, one of the reasons that they're easy prey is because it is forever, since mankind has been on this earth, it's what we've most struggled with. But take, for example, wealth. Notoriety, fame, recognition, reputation, all those kinds of things where we are uh, at the center of our missional purpose. So you take wealth or uh, possessions and, and that can become something that so captivates us. And you think about particularly in the culture that we live in and the, the area that we live in, that it can so captivate us that it becomes the very thing that we live for. Now, many of us may not be honest enough to say, hey, what captivates me most is getting more money. Therefore, that's the reason I exist. That's the mission of my life is to acquire more, to get more, to have more, to uh, gain more and more possessions so as to bring more and more comfort and ease into my life. We may not be uh, honest enough to say that, but if we looked honestly inwardly, we would say, well, that pretty much is my mission for some of us. For, for others of us, maybe it's more along the lines of not so much what I have, but how people see me. And so the mission of my life, because I'm captivated with my reputation, the mission of my life becomes how I present myself to everyone in such a way that I would get glory. And so here's kind of the crux of the matter. Everybody lives with mission, whether you realize it or not, because all of us are captivated at the heart level by something. And the mission that we live with falls under one of two categories. 
One, it's either a mission that is centered around my glory or it's a mission centered around God's glory. That's the only two categories. That's all of us are moving in life towards a mission that is under one of those two categories. It's either self-glory or God's glory. The kingdom of self versus the kingdom of God. One of the metaphors that you'll hear often in church, you'll hear guys like me and others say this. They'll say uh, things like eyes of faith, that, that the eyes of our heart would see the beauty of God in all of his glory. And so we're using that obviously metaphorically, figuratively, because we're not saying that your, eye, uh, that your heart literally has eyes. But the scriptures use this metaphor to say that there is a spiritual reality that exists in such a way that we would be able through eyes of faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that he would then give us vision to behold what we were created to behold, that he would give us vision to see what we are supposed to see. So I'll tell you a story. I've used this story many, many times over the years, and so some of you have heard this before, um, so I'll try to make it fresh and new. Others of you probably haven't heard it, but I keep coming back to it because for me personally, it's what God continually brings up in my life as a picture of what it's supposed to be like, or even how it happens, this whole vision, eyes of the heart type thing. So when we first moved here in the summer of 2015, we moved over from Alabama, and we loved where we lived over there, and our kids loved where, uh, where we lived, and so when we, you move to a new city, you wanna try to present the city in such a way to your children that they say, oh, this is a cool place, I, I think I'm gonna like living here. And so one of the first things that Rachel and I did is we took the kids down into the city and we went to the Georgia Aquarium. And so we spent several hours going around the aquarium, looking at all the amazing things that there are to look at in the aquatic reality of the world that's captivated, that's captured for us right there in this aquarium that's so fascinating. And we had spent our time there, but we had a little bit more time to kill. Felt like we had done everything that we could do, and then we realized, oh, there's a movie. There's a 3D movie that we can go to, and we've heard it's really cool, and we've even heard people say that it's interactive, so that not only are you seeing on the screen the 3D nature of what's happening, but they'll splash water up on you from your seat and all this kind of stuff, and we're like, okay, cool, let's do that. It's already part of the fee that you already paid to go in, and so why not? Let's go to the movie. So we get in there, and as you're going into the movie, they have these big buckets full of 3D glasses that you grab. This is pre-COVID when you used to be able to do this. You grab your 3D glasses on your way in, and so I grab a pair, and I'm sitting there. The movie starts. Everybody puts their glasses on. I put mine on, and I'm going to be honest. I'm looking at it, and I'm going, this is really poorly done. This, like, this movie, like, what's the deal? I'm, I'm watching people, including my own family, go, oh, I, you know, just like things are happening they're seeing something I'm not seeing. And, and I'm just watching this screen going, what, what am I missing? Is there something wrong with my eyes? It takes me a little while. I tend to be slow. But I realize I got faulty glasses. The glasses are not working the way that they're supposed to work. And so my son's sitting next to me, naturally, as a good father. I take his glasses. I give you mine. <laughs> I put his on. And immediately I go, oh, Okay, yeah, oh, this, is, this is really awesome. The shark really is coming out of the screen. I get it now. And that lasted about 10 seconds as I was fighting him off. I couldn't fight him off any longer and he gets the glasses back and I watched the rest of the movie in my 2D glasses. I think I remember actually going and getting some new glasses, but I didn't see what everybody else was seeing and I didn't understand what the big deal was until suddenly I saw it. 
I'm watching all these people go, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Maybe you feel like that with church people. Maybe you've been around this Christianity thing. Maybe you haven't, but maybe you've watched people that are all into this Jesus thing and you're going, what is it that they see? I don't get it. I don't get what they're ooing and eyeing about. It just, what's the big deal? I've been to church. It's not that captivating. But in God's grace and in his goodness and his kindness towards us, through faith in Jesus, he awakens our hearts and he puts, so to speak, he puts glasses on our hearts that we begin to see what we were made to see. We begin to see, and what is it that we're seeing? The scriptures tell us what we are beginning to see with eyes of faith is the glory of God. We begin to behold as minuscule as it is initially with little little mustard seed of faith, we begin to behold his majesty, his splendor, his holiness, the greatness of who God is, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. We realize that this is the God who created us, and he's not just this God who creates and steps back, but he's this God who creates and draws near. And that in all of his splendor and majesty, he doesn't come to condemn, but he actually has come to save me and to draw me into his presence. And what we were unable to see for however long in our lives before we believed upon Jesus, we now see it. We see the glory of God. So then, this becomes the mission of our life. For the Christian Now, this is messy. It's never this succinct and pretty because we're still in this body of death fighting sin on a daily basis, even as ransomed, redeemed sons and daughters of God. But on a a daily basis, what we are fighting to remember is that as people of God, we are to be captivated with the glory of God in such a way that the mission of our lives becomes to multiply his glory into all the earth. We are to, as people of God, we are to be captivated with the glory of God in such a way that the mission of our life becomes to multiply the glory of God everywhere we go. In other words, it looks like this. Everywhere we go, we're going, hey, look, I know you got faulty glasses, but God is so good, he'll give you new glasses and he will let you, he will open your eyes by his grace to see the glory of God and I want you to see it. I want you to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and so let me tell you about this. In life and in word and in deed, the mission of our life is that others may see the glory of God. Let me show, show you where we see, begin to see this in scripture. Now there's lots of, lots of places in scripture where we see this progression of not seeing to seeing and then from seeing to beholding and then beholding to confessing and then confessing to going as a result of the gospel in our lives. And one of the first places that we see this in the scriptures that, that this clearly is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied, he was a prophet of God that prophesied about six to 700 years before Jesus came. God's people are in great rebellion against God. They've gotten sucked in by all the idols of the world. They're chasing after all these counterfeit glories rather than the glory of the, of the God of, of the universe. 
And God is searching for someone who will go to his people and be his mouthpiece. That's what a prophet is, someone who speaks on behalf of God to God's people. Now, prophets were needed before Jesus, but Jesus was the last and final prophet. He's the word of God, as John 1 says. So he came as the final word of God. And so through the final word of God, Jesus, and through the manifestations of the Holy Scriptures, there's no longer a need for Isaiah's and Jeremiah's and Ezekiel's and Micah's and Malachi's and Zephaniah's and all those that we never read hardly ever. But those are the ones that were needed to speak on behalf of God. And so he's looking for someone who will go and speak to my people. And he gives Isaiah this vision. And the vision is in the throne room of God. And this is, what it, this is how it goes down. Isaiah chapter six, verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face and with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. The first word I want you to see this morning that we see in this text is glory. What vision does God give Isaiah? Well, he gives him first a vision of his glory. He brings him into his presence, and he brings him into the throne room of God. And the description of what Isaiah sees here is very similar to the description of what the apostle John writes about when he gets a vision of the throne room of God in Revelation. It's very similar to where he's in the presence of God. The train of his robe is filling the temple. Uh, Smoke fills the room. And when he speaks, the foundations of the room of the temple shake and tremble. It is a terrifying thing to be in the presence of God, the God of glory. And the, the thing that is most amazing about what happens with John and what happens with Isaiah here in this text is that they're beholding the glory of God, they're seeing the glory of God, they're enraptured by the glory of God, they're captivated by the glory of God, and then they instinctively do something. Both of them instinctively hit their face. They're watching this scene unfold. And they're seeing the seraphim, which is this angelic type creature, sing and chant around the throne of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Revelation, it says, who was and is and is to come. Here in this text, it says, and they're saying that the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, do you you realize what's being said there? The whole earth right now is full of his glory. Do you have eyes to see? Do you see that? The whole earth is full of his glory. But Isaiah and John in Revelation, they see this scene unfold and instinctively, they didn't have to consider, should I, should I not? Instinctively, without thought, without hesitation, they fall on their faces and what do they do? Look at the next verse. Verse five. And I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes, here it is, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of glory. So the instinctive instinctive reaction to someone who has seen the glory of God is to confess their guilt. That's the second word. 
First word is glory. But in the presence of glory, we see our guilt. We're exposed fully and completely for who we are in the presence of glory. We stand or, or, or lay prostrate face down in the presence of glory, and all of our guilt is shown uh, as if a, a spotlight was shining on us, exposing every part of who we are. And we realize that in the presence of God Almighty, we are far from being like God Almighty. So we confess. Do you notice the dual nature of Isaiah's confession here of his guilt? First, it's personal. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. But then it's so pervasive. The, the exposure of the guilt of the human heart is so extensive that we can't see our own sin without connecting it to the ways in which we all sin together. There's a corporate nature to the confession of our sin as well. Where he says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, but I am also of of a people of unclean lips. So he confesses his guilt. But there's another word that comes right behind this one. And it's the greatest word, gospel. The gospel of grace. Look what happens in verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having taken, taken his hand, uh, taking in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now this is foreshadowing. Again, this is somewhere between six and 700 years before Jesus would come in the flesh. And so what this is, they don't know it yet. Isaiah doesn't realize this yet, but this is a picture of the atoning work of the Christ that would come. To where this seraphim uh, is, is representing one who would come to the people of God and make atonement. But I want you to notice the differences. In this foreshadowing instance, here's what happens. This seraphim takes with tongs a burning coal. And he flies over to Isaiah and he burns the lips of Isaiah. He pierces the lips of Isaiah. In other words, Isaiah receives the pain of his sin so that, and catch this, so that for this temporary moment, key word, temporary moment, Isaiah can remain in the presence of God as a sin-ridden, guilty person in the presence of glory. But for this moment, his sins are atoned for. But this is all just a little picture a little foreshadowing, a little taste of the, of the one who is to come. And this time, the next time that God's gonna send someone, it's not gonna be a seraphim who will fly over with coal in his, in his hands. It will be the son of God himself who will descend. And this time he will take the coal, if you will, of sin, the pain of sin, the burn of sin, the anguish of, of sin. And instead of piercing the lips of the people who deserve to experience the pain of sin, he will allow himself to be pierced in our place. He will allow himself to be singed, to be burned, to be uh, ripped apart, to hang upon a cross and experience all the agony of what sin deserves. 
And it's not just the physical torture that he endured. The worst part of the cross was that the eternal son of God who had known nothing but love and unity with the, with the father for all of eternity past and for all of eternity future for this brief moment as the weight of the coals of the sin of the world are upon his shoulder, the father turns his face away and he knows and experiences in that very moment what it looks like and feels like to be forsaken because of sin. And he cries out with a few breaths that he has left, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then with the very last breath that he can muster up, he declares to the watching world, it is finished. And he does it so that you and I don't experience the pain of our sin and experience not just the temporal moment of being in the glory of God, but the reality of the eternal glory of God forever and ever. Because of the finished work of the one who flew to us to be burned, if you will, on our behalf. So grace floods our hearts. The gospel overwhelms us. And so then what's the natural reaction to that? The natural reaction to being in the glory of God is to confess guilt. The natural reaction to the grace of God in the gospel is what? Look what happens. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. The instinct of being in the presence of glory is to confess guilt. The instinct of being those recipients of God's grace is to go. To go. It's as, it's as instinctive as Isaiah's response to glory was to fall on his face and confess guilt. It's just as instinctive to say, oh, I have been atoned for. I have been redeemed. I have been reconciled to God. Therefore, I don't have to think about it. I will go. If he says, who will go? That's me. I will go. But it's interesting to couple this with what Jesus said. The very last recorded words of Jesus that we have before he ascends into heaven is is what we commonly call the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And he says this, he's telling his disciples and therefore through them telling us, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. But what's interesting is that go is not the verb in that verse. Go is actually a present participle, which is best translated as, as you are going. The verb is make disciples. So in other words, to go doesn't necessarily mean that you got to go somewhere. So the response of the gospel in our lives is, yes, it's to go, but really what it means is this. As you are going, God's put a call on every single one of us. Some of us are students. That's God's call on your life right now. Some of us are in the corporate world. That's God's call occupationally in your life right now. Others of us are in the educational realm or in the political realm or wherever, where it is we find ourselves. Some of us are stay-at-home parents. It, Wherever God has us, that's your as you are going. That's your go, but the posture of your heart is one is that you're so captivated by the glory of God and you're so changed by the grace of God that you say, send me, O oh God. Send me, O oh God, that wherever I am, wherever you call me, I want to be about helping others by your grace see the glory, the manifold glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's my mission that's the mission of those who say that we follow Jesus. The glory of God captivating our hearts in such a way that the mission of our life becomes to multiply his glory to the world around us. Now, some of us, 
For sure, some of us, he's gonna call to go somewhere, to Tanzania, to India, wherever. But for most of us, for most of us, it's the as you are going of your life on the daily basis. This is what we're chasing after with City Impact. Wherever you are, where you live, where you work, where you play, where God has positioned you already, are you uh, devoted to the mission of being one who is consumed and captivated by the glory of God in your own life, having seen his glory, that you are devoted to helping others see the glory of God, to put the glasses, if you will, on the hearts of others that they may believe as well. Where do we see the glory of God most readily? I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I want you to see it straight in scripture. Where do we see God's glory most clearly? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We are beacons of light constantly pointing others to the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This is what we're chasing after with Life on Life Missional Discipleship. Everywhere we go, we wanna make disciples who are captivated with the glory of God that they may be devoted to the mission that others would be captivated by the glory of God. It's what we're doing in our global outreach. Everything that we're trying to do around the world is devoted to this cause. Do you know the glory of God? Have you seen and tasted of his glory? I'm always conscious of time, but I gotta tell you this story. One year I got to go to East Asia, and um, I'm meeting with a student who was led to faith. He, he had believed upon Jesus through a student that I had led to faith at the University of Alabama. And so I'm sitting with this spiritual grandson. And this spiritual grandson I had never met before until I was on this trip. And I'm asking him where he's from, and he begins to tell me where he's from, and he's from a very remote village that, unlike the rest of this country that I was in, was almost entirely Islamic. And it was a part of a village where the, the Islamic faith in that part of the world was very hostile to Christians, incredibly hostile. And this young brother had come to love Jesus. He had seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so as I'm getting to know him, I ask him the question, what year are you in school? He says, I'm a senior. Do you know what you wanna do after you graduate? Yes. What's that? I'm gonna go back to where I grew up. Oh, really? What do you wanna do there? I wanna tell people about Jesus. I don't know what I'm gonna do occupationally, but I know that I want everybody in my village to know and see what I know and see. And then I asked him this question. If you go do that, will your life be in danger? And I kid you not, he smiled at me and he said, yes. But I can't wait to go. This brother was... 19 years old, he had been captivated. He had seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. 
And the mission of his life was that he wanted people who he knew had never seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus to behold him. So my prayer is that I would be more like that brother. Here's the thing. I don't know if that happened. If he did go back, maybe he died for the faith. I don't know. But I know this. I can't wait to ask him in glory. I can't wait to say, hey, how'd it go? And how did God use you to open eyes to see the glory of God? Father, thank you that in your grace and in your kindness, you open our eyes to see you, the very one for whom we were created. Jesus, you are the one who has restored this glory back in us. And so may we, through your power within us and by your grace, may we be a people captivated by your glory, committed to your mission, that others may see and behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We pray it in your matchless and holy name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close out singing together to our King of glory. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.